Hey, welcome to uh, Heart of the Matter. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, life and uh, for all that you do. Help us to uh, move through and uh, recognize your hand. Be grateful. Um, be humble before you and uh, seek you in all things. We pray that you will uh, move me to say things that will be a benefit. Keep the uh, heresy to a minimum and uh, bless our uh, participants behind in the cage and people who keep things going with the websites and, and all the things that are happening with the ministry. And bless the viewers, most importantly, Lord, it's not just to do this. We do it so that people who are watching can learn and grow and, and uh, in their relationship to Christ. We love you and say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, listen, we have on our website, hotm.tv, and it is for HOTM 2.0. At the bottom, if you scroll down, you will get to a bunch of books that you can get, either PDF version or you can have them um, sent to you in an ebook. And there is, uh, it's not the end of the world is one about eschatology. One is called Eternal Punishment. That you can just download. Another one is the Christian Anarchist Crookbook. That's a 400-page book that you can download and read the contents. It's kind of like A to Z, but uh, it's the Crookbook. I think, um, I can't remember. It's, do you know, Seth, do we have this one on there, If Then? No. No. Uh, we, we have these in stock, and, and we're going to get this up there, too, as a PDF. But if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. And it is a believer's refusal to join popular Christian culture, especially the evangelical right, which is all about politics and fighting sin in the world rather than just representing Jesus. I love this little book. Also, we have a workbook that uh, we can send to you. We're going to make this available too, actually. And this is The End of Material Religion. Uh, using the Bible to prove that brick-and-mortar religion should have died a long time ago. And what I mean by brick-and-mortar religion is I mean making it a big, huge ordeal. I don't mean you don't meet in a building. It's just representative of just making religion this big thing. Then, of course, uh, we have, and this is up there, isn't it? Knife? Knife to a gunfight, misinterpreting the purpose and place of the New Testament. This is very important to what we're talking about on HOTM 2.0. And so uh, you can get that for free, PDF. If you want a hard copy, then write us. Derek and Danita will send out hard copies of these books. But when we do that, uh, especially if we do it overseas, if we do it overseas, we have to charge you because it costs like 50 bucks to send one of these. So you can just get the PDF for free. So don't order the hardback if you live overseas. Just get it for free online. But if you're here in the U.S. and you want a hardback, I'm a hardback reader. I don't read too much online, so uh, there's that. And then finally, for our Mormon uh, stuff that we have done, I was a born-again Mormon, the book that started it all, and then uh, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity, A to Z. This is kind of a compendium of topics that we talk about things. There's some things in this book that are wrong. Uh, I was at a place in my uh, studies that I believe certain things, and I have changed my beliefs. They're not too radical. In fact, even the stuff on the Trinity, which I say is the Trinity in here, really describes what I continue to believe, which is not really the Trinity in here. But anyway, this is A to Z, and uh, all these uh, materials are available to you. 
All of them for free, unless you live overseas and you want a hardback copy. There is the caveat, all right? We'll even send them to you here in the U.S., a hardback uh, for free, if you don't have the funds to pay for it. Listen, here's a question. Is polygamy still practiced in the Mormon church today? Or was polygamy practiced, thanks Derek, in the Bible? Have a look at this. Today, Chris has brought up the subject of polygamy. The missionaries really don't want to talk about this. You see, Mormon men used to be able to marry as many women as they wanted. To some men, that may sound like a pretty sweet deal. Can you explain to me why your church promoted polygamy? At one time, he commanded his people to do it. Now he commands them not to do it. You realize that polygamy continues to be promoted in Mormonism by the simple fact that Doctrine and Covenants section 132 is a major part of church canonized scripture. Why hasn't it been removed? I'll tell you why. Because polygamy is still practiced and accepted spiritually by the church. What? You gotta love that fish. You gotta love it. The voice is great, but you should see the fish in person. All right, anyway, you can watch a full episode of Talking to Mormons by clicking on the link in the description below. And Talking to Mormons will now be releasing a new video every Tuesday. Uh, so I encourage you to check them out. They are excellent summaries, really well done. Talking to Mormons, check it out on the graphic below. Okay, two weeks away, and <clears throat> I'm sorry my voice is going. We are two weeks away from a show we are doing with J Dr. James White, and we've called it Showdown. That's what's behind me on these papers. And um, there's been some kickback by some because we have titled it Showdown, right? And so let me just address this really quickly. Believe it or not, everything we do like this, at least everything I do, has a purpose. And often it's a play on words to illustrate things, and it, there's off, often a dual way to see things, and uh, showdown has an automatic meaning. We know when you read showdown, you're thinking of a, a gunfight, you're thinking of a confrontation, uh, an ultimate battle. So James White and Sean, showdown, you know, I, obviously I meant that. Um, but, and what the, what the showdown is, is James represents traditional orthodoxy, what has always been, and I sort of represent uh, feebly the future of the faith in my estimation, if it's going to survive. Uh, it's not that Christ needs me to have his church survive, but his body is growing and we're having problems, and I think it's because orthodoxy is going to fail to service the way they have approached it, because I don't think they've approached it correctly with, in terms of the Bible. So showdown is an appropriate name in terms of tradition versus the, the newer approach. But I also use the term to mean something very different from the traditional sense. We call heart of the matter a show. People will say, when's the show? What time is the show? And being a show, I am, I often assume the role of a showman. I do things often in the show to push the envelope, to invoke thought, to bring out discussion, to cause people to talk at the coffee uh, water cooler. Water cooler. Uh, <laughs> showdown is purposeful 
in this meeting with Dr. James and myself because we are taking the show part down. Aha, yes, that was purposeful. We're, the show is coming down. We're not going to be doing it to, I'm not going to be there to win a debate. I'm not going to do it to, to present a show where I can look funny or humorous or acceptable to you. I'm going to present to you my heartfelt sentiments about how off I think orthodoxy is and just to try to dialogue with James because he really does effectively represent everything that has been. So try not to let the marketing part of this get to you. Uh, it, it, it's uh, an element of the ministry uh, that is rarely that serious. It's something that's fun to do. February 13th, 8 to 11 p.m., Dr. James White and myself. If you're going to come to the church studio, uh, get here early. There's only about 120 seats, I think, maximum. And uh, you're going to have to get here early, I think, if you want one. All right. Last week, if you look up on the board, we called the show, for those of you who have lost hope, and talked about ways and reasons people lose hope in the face of eschatology in the face of the eschatology that I talk about, which is um, everything's finished, it's fulfilled, it's done, it's over. And when people who are Christian and raised Christian hear that, they often lose hope and they become uh, hopeless. And so on the left side of the board, we put up, and I'm going to step back here, we put up last week all the completed policies and practices that occur in the Bible, New Testament. And so we talked about, there's no need anymore for us to be concerned with genealogies. In fact, Paul even says don't. Um, circumcision, circumcision of the heart, not necessarily of the unit. Uh, water baptism types, uh, laying on of hands, exorcisms, tithes, attempts to heal, organized government. Now, when I say attempts to heal, it doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't lay hands on people. I just think we say, God, it's in your hands. If you're going to heal them, heal them. We trust you will if that's your will. If it's not, we trust that's okay too. But the, the whole practice of taking what the apostles did in the New Testament and continue to assign it to ourselves, I just don't see that in fulfillment. Organized church government, specific offices, deacons, elders, boards, public tongues, apostles, Hell, Satan, second coming, excommunications, all religious authority, completed policies and practices. And then we said, but when you read the scripture, there are eternal principles that we certainly as Christians want to follow. And that includes this spiritual rebirth, faith in Lord Jesus Christ, love, of course, the, the, the goal, love, humility, kindness, peacemaking, forgiveness, long-suffering, selflessness, death to self, growth, generosity, constant communication with God. And that's in opposition to having to pray, you know, having to pray three times a day. Done. That, that, that's back over here if we had any of those practices. Now it's, because the Jews prayed three times a day, now it's you're in constant communication with God. Constantly, you know. And then we talked about how planting and watering continues on today. And that was in opposition of, of the Great Commission. Why? Because the Great Commission was Jesus telling his apostles, go into all of Israel now and share what, I have to what I've done so that 
Israel can be saved. That's why I came. And then also the world will follow the, uh, therein after. But you go to all the, all the, it says world in the King James, but go to all of Israel now. And Jesus even said, do you remember this? You can try to get through all of Israel, but you won't get to all the cities before I come back. He told them that. You're not going to get to all the cities of Israel before I return. But the Great Commission was for them and his second, his second coming. For now, we're not, we're not preaching to get to everybody in the world for fear that Christ is going to come back. And there, we, we do it because people need Jesus. And they need to understand him. And they need to have personal rebirth, etc., etc. <coughs> okay. A quick drink <coughs> of water. Now, some of you balked kind of heavily over some of this stuff, um, thinking that some of these things are over. But remember, if or since Jesus has had the victory, everything has been fulfilled, and everything that has been done materially in preparation for his coming is done. All right? We had a caller last week try to convince us uh, subtly at first, that being a Catholic was necessary now. And that would mean all that religion the, that Catholics bring, the buildings, the rites, the rosary, the prayers, the, the endless stuff. Now, if someone is a Catholic, fine. If they love that, wonderful. That is their right. Do it. Whatever. But from a biblical standpoint, I just don't think it's necessary. If you get the eschatology right, all of the need for that Catholicism crumbles. All of it. And that's why very few people teach the eschatology, because they want to believe he's coming back, because if he hasn't, then, then there is a, a reason for church, and there is a reason for all the things that are written in the New Testament, you see? So there's no need to debate anything about religion until a person really understands eschatology. And once they do, the rest of it, most of it, starts to become silly. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I talk about this a lot, and it really rubs people the wrong way, but remember, I didn't write this. I didn't come up with it. The writer of Hebrews did. And he said in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, everyone who uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And then he steps right into the sixth chapter, and this is the part that bugs people. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That means completeness. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. That's an amazing set of passages there. But we don't want to even look at them. They're in Hebrews. They're in the Bible. They are purposeful. They have an important message to us. And to be honest with you, how I see the New Testament, at least from Acts through Revelation, that, those little three verses say more to what the Bible speaks about than uh, the verses about spiritual regeneration and faith, by far. So, 
What does it mean, though, in that line, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works? I'm going to say it again. What does the line mean, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works? Meaning, don't go lay a foundation again of having to repent for dead works, for not doing dead works. What are dead works that people were repenting of? That the writer of Hebrews says, don't lay that foundation again. So my question to you is this. In this age, when Jesus has had the victory over sin, death, the grave, and according to Revelation, Satan himself and hell, in this age when God has written his laws on our minds and on our hearts, in this age when the material church has been shaken here and in heaven so much that everything has fallen to the dust and the only thing that remains are unshakable things, in this age where the Spirit reigns through fruits of the Spirit, which is love, 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 this age of love, what can we suppose are the dead works that Christians today are constantly repenting of failing to do, failing to participate in, failing to accomplish. That's what you need to look around your church and say, what is going on here where people, when they don't participate, they are repenting for failing to participate in those dead works? Again, what are they? Let that sink into your mind for a second, okay? In this age when Jesus has had the victory, in this age when God has written his laws upon our hearts and minds, you got somebody who comes to know Jesus, they don't have to touch the Bible. They don't have to touch it. He has written his laws on their hearts and minds. The Spirit, this is the church of the Spirit. And that person, it doesn't matter if they wander here or there to this religious practice or that one, or they get caught up in this thing or that. It doesn't matter. The Spirit has them. They know Him, and they worship Him. Luckily, we have the Bible. It's a gift. We read it. It, it gives us all those things in the middle. But if we don't have it, it's okay. Because in this age, He writes His laws upon our hearts and minds. In this age, when the Spirit reigns, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, what can we suppose, again, are the dead works that Christians today are constantly repenting of for not doing, participating in, accomplishing? Look back at the board. I would suggest that we have some of them up here right now. We have people who are repenting constantly that they're not speaking in tongues enough. We have people who are constantly repenting for not holding up their religious authority, not paying their tithes. These are dead works. These have nothing to do with real works where people move on to perfection. We have people who are repenting for not doing their genealogy if they're Mormon. Uh, we, we have all those things coming about, right? Now, if you're a Mormon, you need to repent for not doing your genealogy, not attending the temple, not paying your tithing. If you're a Catholic, you need to repent of the dead works of not going to confession, not attending mass, not doing the rosary, not saying the Hail Marys, all the dead works that are accomplished in material religion today, okay? For the far-right evangelical, it might be, I need to repent for not voting Republican. I need to repent for not being involved in the right godly party here in America, like Franklin Graham re recently said, much to my chagrin. Uh, it might be for not 
blowing up the abortion clinic, if you're, if you're radical enough, or for not marching against the homosexuals. Dead works. Dead. They don't mean crap. They mean nothing. Because they don't fall under the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, peace, joy, long-suffering. You get what I'm saying? Listen closely. This is going to sting some of you. It might also mean stop repenting for not saying your prayers every night. Every night. Or, 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 or not waking up in the morning and doing it before you get your feet hit the floor. It might be for not reading your scriptures. It might be for not paying your tithes at your church. It might be for uh, all the things that you are taught must be done, which are dead works. When you're living in the Spirit, and when you're walking with Christ, by the Spirit, with God in you. Stop laying the foundation of repentance from dead works, the writer says, and move on to completeness. Move on to perfection. What is perfection? Love. That is perfection. You don't have to pray another day in your life. You never have to fast. You have to give a cent. If you love like God loves in your heart, because guess what? You'll have a prayer in your heart constantly. And you'll be generous by virtue of the Spirit. And you'll read Scripture. You'll commune with God. You'll seek for truth. It isn't something that needs to be mandated. It's already there. Now, I want us to move further along to understanding this perfection um, in this age of fulfillment. Okay? I'm going to go to the board again. In addition to what are completed policies and practices... And in addition to eternal principles that will always be there, I would like to suggest the following doctrinal things need to also fade completely in terms of disagreement among us. That no brother or sister, no matter what denomination they prefer, fight over these things. They are dead works to fight over these things. When we as a body of believers begin to understand that, we move into the age where everything's shaken, the law's written on our hearts and minds, we're walking in love, and we are being Christian. In the new age when everything's fulfilled, okay? Now, this is going to sting too. Uh, all debate, no more debates over creation. No more. You have a Christian who believes in evolution, whatever. Person believes in 24-hour literal periods, whatever. Person believes in billion-year billion periods for each day represented, okay. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, there are people who say, no, you got out, you got it. Yeah. No, you don't. You just don't. It's the spirit, it's the faith, it's the love. I'll tell you why. Well, we're not agreeing on that now. And the more we try to agree on it, the more our kids are like, what do you say, professor? Well, let's look at some of these other ideas. And then we start to lose the battle because we're fighting amongst ourselves. What else? Stances on the fall. And there's a several, you know? Someone comes to the church and says, well, I believe Satan was tempting Adam and Eve with sex. That eating the apple was actually the sexual act between a man and a woman. And you say, oh, well, that's a unique idea. It's been taught before. Have at it, brother. You can say, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I love you. Can we do that? 
on the flood. It was worldwide. It was geographical. It was in the Great Basin. No, it covered Everest. And you got the creation institutes, and you have the S, and you have the evidence here, and you have the evidence there. It's debatable issues. I think darkness loves to divide us, and it will do it on any topic it can. So if you get someone who's ardent on a being a creationist, and they're, and they're against you because, because you don't think it was a worldwide flood, for instance, you can just love them back. It's all right. Well, you're going to go to hell because you don't think the flood was all around the world. Well, that's okay. I'll let God, you know, reach me in hell. Whatever they're going to say, right? Uh, Ark and animals goes right along with that. Because this is ad nauseum. I mean, come on. Ad nauseum. And if you really, really examine it, there are so many sides to the thing. It's not a matter of faithlessness if you see it in a more symbolic way. It's just a matter of the way you see it. Uh, I don't think that there should be debates on the law. I don't think there should be debates on marriage. Why? Because Jesus says, the children of this world marry. It's a worldly concept. Why are we involved in it? Why worry about it? I know a pastor in this state who cannot be named, who is going to stop performing marriages because he knows, and this is a very respected big church pastor, knows it's a dumb thing for us to be involved in them in the first place. And he knows it from a biblical perspective. Been saying that forever. Doesn't need to be in our thing. People want to get married, get married. Justice of the peace. You can have a reception here if you want. All right. Uh, nation of Israel. Forget about it. Because why? Because uh, in Christ Jesus, there's no Jew or Gentile. Why, are we even, why do we even talk about it? It's over. It's fulfilled. They were destroyed. Why do we even talk about it? Why is it used as a tool to get all of us up and, and, and doing everything for the nation of Israel? When Paul clearly says, not all who are Israel are Israel. We become Abraham's children by and through faith. And someone here who is the Gentile of Gentiles is as much Israel as someone who's sitting in Bethlehem right now, cross-legged and, and reading the Torah. Israel is done in terms of that nation. Israel are believers, true Israel. Forget it. Oh, you know, and then authority, of course, forget it. He has authority, he doesn't, she doesn't. And uh, a few more. Resurrection. I have views on the resurrection, and you have views on the resurrection, and we don't know perfectly. We don't see perfectly. And then heaven and hell. And, you know, we don't need to debate about what they are like and what they contain. And we don't need to talk about angel humans sitting on clouds playing harps forever and ever or screaming to the top of their lungs while they're on fire, while they're scraping at the walls. You want to believe it? Believe it. Just do you love Jesus? Do you seek Jesus? Do you have the spirit of Jesus in you that allows all the debates to go? When will we do this? How come this isn't preached by every other pastor at least? For us to take this path and just get to the basics of what the faith is about. And of course, we have politics. And you know what all that means. And I think we have the ontology of God, which I'm going to be talking about James White with. 
You know, it's amazing. I've experienced it firsthand. The animus that comes at you if you just say, I'm not sure, let alone say, I don't believe in this way of seeing God. It's unbelievable how ugly it is. So, even Calvinism and Arminianism, I don't agree with either. I don't like either, but I know Calvinists. I love them as brothers, sisters. That's how it has to be. These are no more debates. These are the eternal principles. This is over. All right? So, Steve, get at it. Take it all the way out. And we're going to wrap it up with this, and then we'll go to the phones. I see four categories on earth. You might differ. There may be more or less. I see four categories in the way all Christians should see the world today. And I think that if we can look at those categories and start to live by those, and not, not dogmatically, make up your own, rename them, I don't care. I'm just saying if we start to sort of see people this way, we are going to understand what it means to live in an age that's fulfilled, completely fulfilled with Christ as our king here. He is our king here, all right? Now, the, three, the four ways are this. Steve is out of the way, finally. <clears throat> I think the first way that we need to look at the world is those who do not have faith. Clear enough. If led by the Spirit, you share Jesus with them. If they accept it, we rejoice. If they reject it, we love them as they are. Because it's only through our unconditional love, non-judgmental love, that anybody who does not have faith would want faith. All right? You're only going to recruit fearful people through the threats of punishment, hell, eternality of flames, and bring them into Christ by that. And I just don't think it lasts because it's not contextually supported by Scripture. Yes, there is punishment. Yes, there are consequences. But it's the love that causes people to want to change. It is not the fear. It's not the law. So I would suggest that those who do have, don't have faith, this is our A category, and the world is full of them, and Christians should respond to them as, any, as a regular person. And if led by the Spirit, share. If they receive, wonderful. You've made a spiritual brother or sister. If they don't, you love them anyway. Second group. This is an interesting one. Those who have faith. Have faith in what? Any type of faith. Um, our view is to rejoice over the fact that there is a man or woman who believe Allah is a supreme power in their life. We rejoice over the fact that they're at least in faith seeking someone higher than them, and that God is working to bring them to a knowledge of his son. If we attack them, and we condemn them, and we argue with them, and we hate them, we will forever be in the darkness, and never in the light. 
Because I'm going to tell you a secret. God loves them as much as he loves us. As much. He's not a respecter of persons. His son gave his life for the whole world, including the Muslim, including the Buddhist. They are people who have faith. Different category. There are B category. How, what do we do with them? We share Jesus. And if they don't receive it, they don't. But you know what? We don't know what these people have in their heart toward God. We don't know if they really are worshiping Jesus, but they just don't know who he is. It's not our place to judge it. If led, we share, we love, we let God. We don't bring them in to rip them apart. This brings us to the third one. This is a tough one. This is the toughest category for Christians. Those who profess Jesus. This is category C. Our view is since Jesus has had the total victory and since there is an abundance of differing views on him and how to follow him, any and all who profess him are received as believers. That's how I see it. You may not, but that's how I see it. So any and all who profess Jesus, I see as individual believers. I may not see their religion as Christian, but I certainly see people who profess Christ as Lord as believers. LDS people, I see them as believers when they profess Christ. That's, there's nothing more I can do. I can share the nuances of Christ with them and they may change their mind, but if they don't, I love them as people who profess Christ. You can see that they're getting much, much closer at least and they try to follow him. Catholics, absolutely. And, 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 and as I said, I've mentioned my friend, this guy loves the Lord, loves him, and he's a priest. And he uses all the other things that go along with Catholicism by faith. Baptists, Methodists, if they are seekers in Christ, those who profess Jesus will find him more and more throughout the course of their life. If they're just religionists that profess Jesus, that's up to God to decide. So all along we've seen that we have love and we have acceptance, we have love and we have acceptance, we have love and we have acceptance and we let God decide what's on their heart because he will anyway and they will believe anyway what they wanna believe. Again, any and all who profess faith in Jesus Christ are part of the family. Now this one will be ripped apart and kicked against by every single zealot on earth. Every single person who wants to categorize and argue and break it down and say there's this way and give this right way and you must do this, that, that is just the work of darkness. The light is love. God is love. The prejudices, the fear that we have, the zealotry that we have in us, should die. True believers will let that die. Finally, the, the D category are those who are Christ's sons and daughters. I distinguish them from those who profess Jesus because this is more of a religious, this can be more of a religious stance, but it can also be this. But I'll tell you something. You meet somebody, and I don't give a rat's asp in Grove, 
you meet somebody who is a son or daughter of God, who is a son, who is a joint heir with Christ, and you don't care what religion they, they attend. You know them. Jesus said you would. By what? By their love. You know them by the spirit that's in you and the spirit that's in them. And you will find sometimes, to your surprise, if you let the BS in your head and heart go, that some of them exist here, and some of them exist here, and some of them may even exist there. What? No faith? When they say, I don't have any faith in anything, sometimes what these people are saying is, I don't trust religion at all. I don't like the way God is described to me by religionists. I don't like the way the, the pastor on the radio talks about God. I don't believe in that God. But it doesn't necessarily mean they are not his. How do you tell who his, his are? It's by their love. It's by their Christian love. All right? In and through this prescribed approach that we've talked about tonight, we accomplish a number of things as followers of Christ in the age when all the rest of the stuff is done. First, we will be known by our love for all in his name and cause. Across the board, Christians are known by their love. It can be exercised in all four of those areas. Second, we will step back from policing the world and begin to operate from a position that God is in charge, He's all in all because his son has had the victory. That's a position of tremendous faith. When you are able to sit in a room, meet people who are of any of those categories and love them because you know Jesus has had the victory and God is in charge. Listen to me. Third, we open our arms to people of faith instead of offending them with dogma and demands. And I am all over the internet offending people. I did it for seven years straight. Still do it. But that has its place. But a, a, a true Christian is known by a deeper love. A love that is just like Christ speaking to another person. Like the woman at the well. Fourth, we will allow the walls of sectarianism denominationalism to fall, which will bring more light and more unity in the faith of those who both profess Jesus and are his sons and daughters. A final note. In this approach, there's always going to be those who pull back from it, and they will continue to strive to divide. They live in that. They must have that for some reason or another. They feel good about it. And they will continue to point fingers at everyone who does not conform to how they see the faith. Do you know how much we've put on that board? Do you know how much division there is on those, all those single words between people? But if you just step back and just put Christ, faith, love, we can unite. Right? The zealots presently and in the past have pointed accusatory fingers of heresy 
and apostasy and not being Christian and being a cult member and going to hell and being demons and all of that shit. Sorry, that's just all it is. It's just shit. And they have done it and done it and done it because they're afraid of things opening up. They're afraid they're going to have to love someone who has an opinion that's different than theirs. And that terrifies them. So they point fingers. And the interesting thing is so many of those fingers pointed are to those in the last two categories, especially the third, the C. People who profess Jesus, we spend a lot of time pointing our fingers at each other. We spend more than, than time on, on, on the B people, you know, the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Jehovah's Witnesses, wherever they fall in there. But, but it's all up in there with people of faith are the ones who are really killing each other. There's a little bit toward the atheists. This is one ugly, heinous, anachronistic way to reach people with the finished, wonderful, beautiful work of Christ. That's the message we have. He came. He did it. It's finished. Relax. Trust God. That's the message we have. Did you know you were saved? No, I haven't said it. You have been saved. It just, you just are gonna have to, you'll receive that. You'll receive that gift someday. So just rejoice. I love you as you are. Try, if we can, to keep building that up. All right, we have one called Jake in Twin Falls, Idaho, on line one. We'll take him, and then we're going to get out of here. Jake. Jake. Yes, hello, hello. Hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Doing well, brother. Awesome. Sean, I love you, man. I just got to say that. I love you so much. If you only spent an evening with me. No, no, not at all. No, no, I love you. Um, I got a question. I feel actually kind of dumb asking after what you just talked about. Yeah. Um, but I've had a lot of... Just one second. Give me one second, sweetie. Um, the question about um, the whole Arminianism, Calvinism debate. Yeah. Um, look at Romans 9, the whole some vessels set up for wrath. Yeah. I really don't want to believe Calvinism, and I, I really like the idea of the total reconciliationism, and isms seem kind of silly, even yeah. especially if you're going to argue about them. Yeah. But like, how is that explained? Because it really looks like um, the way Paul puts it is just, hey, uh, sorry, dude. Just... Yeah, I made you because you're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, how, how, like, how do we deal with that? It's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, really, the... it, it genuinely is. Yeah. The way I understand it, Jake, is one, Paul was talking primarily to the house of Israel. He was talking, I know it's in Romans, but he's talking about, listen, some of these people were just created to do what they did. That was put the Messiah to death. So I see it in that context. The second way I see it is I believe that God who is, has known everything, certainly may have created some to do what they did and certainly is punishing some for having done what they did. But it's because of their free will in doing it. He knew they would do it. And I do think he will reconcile them. 
because they were fitted for, that word destruction is a pulamai, and it means the rubbing away of them, the, uh, the purging of them, I can see God doing that, knowing that he put certain people in place to accomplish certain things to bring others to him. I have no problem with him orchestrating any of that if in the end he is able to bring them to him. And so I think okay. it's short-sighted to think that he has created them to be eternally burning in Gehenna forever. That's not what, how I see right. it. Yeah. So, and I guess along those lines, um, so with the word of, I guess, hell being, it gives up its dead, and the word of it not actually being eternal, but more of for like an eon or yeah. an age sort yeah. of idea? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right, it's, I'm, still, I'm still wrestling with it, I guess. It's like chewing on like a big old fat piece of jerky. Like, yeah. It's not, not going down well. No, it's a I'm big fat piece of gelatinous jerky, and you're going to gnaw <laughs> on that sucker your whole life. So do I. Right. Okay. And I got just what. Thank you so much. And just one more thing, um, something for Steve, dude. I love your music. Got a request. Maybe you could throw in a metal version of the doxology if you felt like doing it. I, I would be especially thankful. He, but I, I love you, man. I, I love what you guys are doing, for real. Hey, thanks, Jake. Steve says thanks, and he's going to be working on doxology for you. Uh, awesome. All right, awesome. brother. Thank you so much. Have a good one, Sean. See you later. Bye-bye. That's nice when they say they love you and they know something about you. Usually it's, I just saw a video, and I just love you, and just watch a few more. But he seems to know our stuff, so that's cool. Let's go to Curtis in Salt Lake, our last call. Curtis, you're on Heart of the Matter. Where am I? Mapleton. Hey, Curtis, you're on the air. All right. <clears throat> I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous, too. Yeah. Um, you, I just started watching your show. You said you're, you're born again? I have been born again, yes. But you're a sinner. Yes, I am. Well, but you say to go from the Bible... I believe that's true. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Yeah, it means you can't because you're a new creature in Christ. But you sin. Yes, I do. So how do those go together? Well, my flesh, just like Paul says in Romans 7 and 8, my flesh is always going to sin. But my spirit in Christ regenerated cannot sin because Christ is in me. So the question so you're is... Not who is my, there's, a, there's, a, there's a duality in the faith. There is the flesh, the carnal flesh, and there is the spirit. The question is, who am I? Who am I? Well, then, let me just answer, and then you can go on. Who, let me tell you, who's going to go into the grave and die, and who's going to continue on? The thing that goes into the grave and dies is my flesh, which always will sin, but the thing that will go on, which cannot sin, is me in Christ Jesus. So the real me is not the one that will perish. The real me is, that, is the one that will continue on. So in that way, that's how you have to understand what John says in those epistles. You know what John said in that epistle is, Whosoever born of God doth not sin. That, I mean, you can, you can but, rest the scriptures all you want, okay, but no, that's what it says. All right, you want to rest scriptures. He also says in that same epistle, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. So you explain that to me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> You're just saying the same thing I just said. We agree. You are resting the scriptures through argumentation. I gave you my explanation. 
The flesh will always be sinful. There's no good thing in the flesh. But the spirit, it cannot sin. That spirit... It doesn't say... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Curtis? I just take the, I just take the Bible as it says. Well, you really don't, you're telling, you're telling me you're two people. You are two people. There's a duality. Paul talks you're about schizophrenic? it. Schizophrenic? It's not hypocritic. It's not schizophrenic. You know, actually, there's, there's, a, there's a trinity within us, if you want to get real. The scripture talks about in Hebrews that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing body, soul, and spirit. Soul and spirit from another. So we have three parts in our body that are named different things, according to the Greeks. We have our sarks, we have our pneuma, and we have our suke. And, and, and let me tell you something. Let me just prove my point, Curtis. My flesh in the morning wants to stay in bed with my warm wife. My spirit says, get up and study the word. And my will says, okay, I'm going to let the spirit tell me to do it. They are three distinct parts of me that don't necessarily agree with each other, and they operate in a different way. The flesh part of me, Curtis, will kill you if it's angry. But the spirit part of me will love you if you have ripped me off completely. Do you see how we are different in our one person? I completely disagree with you, but we can just leave it at there. I no, have another question. No, no, but no, wait. If you disagree with me, just please tell me how. Explain it to oh, me. I, I just disagree that, oh, we're two different people. My spirit this, my, my body this. I mean, it just says, you know, if you're born of God, you're not going to commit sin. Okay, then no one's born of God, Curtis, because everyone sins. I, I agree with you. I don't have anybody that I could say is born of God. Okay, I can't so, think of a single person. Okay, so the Bible, if you're not born of God, you won't even see God. That means separation from God forever. That means banishment forever, hell forever. Everybody's going to hell then? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making an argument there at all. I'm just saying, I'm looking at this scripture, and I'm saying it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't fly. And let, me both of them together. let me explain one more thing, Curtis, just to, just to help you. Uh, it's like that old thing we say all the time, I'm sorry it's so redundant, but it's the three Indians, uh, Indian people from India who go to the elephant, and they're blind men, and they all, one has the trunk, one has the ear, and one has the tail. And they're asked, uh, explain what an elephant's like, and each one explains the thing that they're feeling. Right now, you are talking, Curtis, about one passage in the epistle of John. You have to take it couched in the whole elephant. You have to see what all of Scripture says in order to make an assumption of what that one passage means. You cannot just take one passage and walk around and cite it as this is the gospel truth. It says it. It says it. You need to get the whole picture, and that will help you. I just disagree with you. Well, that's okay. I mean, I don't disagree with that you need to get the whole picture. I, I see what you're saying. I just disagree with you on the point. Of We just disagree on that one point. Okay, what's the next thing? Did you say that you don't believe in ordinances? or I can't remember. Ordinances were nailed to the cross of Christ. He nailed the ordinances to the cross. That's in Ephesians. Do you believe in ordinances, Curtis? Yeah. Which ones? All of them. What are they? 
baptism. Why are you asking me what they are? You know what they are. No, I don't know the ordinances that you're talking about. Baptism. Washing, anointing. Endowment. Any, any of those. Oh, okay. And, and what do you believe those ordinances are going to do for you that Christ can't do through his shed blood and your faith upon it? Uh, hang on just a second. I, I think he missed my... I didn't make my point. Oh, okay. Because I... Didn't you also say that there's nothing in the Bible about ordinances? No, I didn't say that. So why does the Bible have stuff about ordinances? Well, when they were in under the law, ordinances were important. And uh, that's because the law was being a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. And so those poor people were under so many ordinances that they were doing to try to get themselves right with God, and God did ordain them and establish them. But you see, when his son came, that's why Paul said the ordinances were nailed to the cross. You see, because it frees you, Curtis, from having to believe that being dipped in water is going to save you or going to a temple is going to save you or laying out of hands is going to save you. It's Christ's shed blood that saves you, my brother. I never said that uh, going to the temple is going to save you. But you, uh, you like ordinances. I what? You, you do participate in ordinances. Yes. For what reason? Because the Savior told, I mean, when he instituted the sacrament, I mean, he said, this is for you guys. I mean, I can't remember his words. I'm... I can. And what he said was, do this until I come. And he said it to his apostles, take this wine. You're talking about communion, sacrament, yeah. But I also know that water baptism doesn't save us, Curtis. And doing an endowment in a temple where a veil's been stuck back up by a man who reinstituted law upon his people is completely contrary to what Jesus did. I just have a, quest I have a question for you, Curtis, since you've asked me a couple do you believe that Jesus coming and doing what he did is enough for you to live with God after this life? Well, I don't believe I'm going to heaven, but theoretically, yes. So you have a personal uh, confliction with yourself with not believing you're going to heaven and, no, and everybody having sin, so nobody being saved, but intellectually, you believe yes. Yeah. Okay. You and I need to have a conversation so we can get to those personal issues first before you try to understand the theological ones. Do me a favor. We're running out of time. Email me, and we'll strike up a discussion, and, and, and maybe we can talk. What's your email? Where do I get that? Stay on the line. It's on the screen. You see it on the screen? I turned everything off so I could talk to you. Okay. It's sean at aletheamedia.com. But you can okay. hold, hold on the phone and Wendy will give it to you. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Okay, bye. All right, really quickly, we're going to Jeff in Oregonian. Jeff in Oregon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, while you were talking to Curtis, I heard you mention the quote out of Hebrews where it talked about dividing. Yeah. The, the, yeah. So that actually says divided soul and spirit. It doesn't body. mention body, and I previously spoke with you about this a few months back on the phone, and in Genesis, where it talks about the, the, the body plus the spirit 
kind of equals the soul. Yeah. And we had talked a bit about that, but I don't see three there, even in Hebrews, and you're introducing a third part to it. Well, I do see all three mentioned in Hebrews, but I don't see the, the word of God dividing the body. You're right. I misquoted that. But I do see, uh, isn't uh, body mentioned in Hebrews? Right, right. Yeah. So I, sure, I, yeah. Yeah, I included body. You're right. It, the word of God doesn't separate the body. No, but it does separate the mind, will, and emotion from the spirit. Right? Sure. And the mind, will, and sure. emotion are connected to the body, like you said. God breathed into the clay, and Adam became a living soul. Numa, the, the sarks. Mm. Yeah. So. Is there cool. more? That's all. I just, I just wanted to hear what you, your take on that, because it yeah. seemed like you slipped in an extra word there that wasn't in the I did. Scripture. You got me on that. I did. I, I just was talking. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Talk to you later, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Is that it? That's okay. it. Okay. All right. Uh, remember, 13th of this month of February, James White here, 8 to 11. Get here early if you're going to join with us. Tell your friends. I really sincerely believe, and with all my heart, it's a meeting of the old with the new and just a conversation to see if we can come to some sort of reasonable uh, agreement with one with another. We'll see you next week here in Heart of the Matter.